This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, party people, it's Jaime. Producing our podcast, Confessions of a Creative Director, is one of the most rewarding and fulfilling projects of my life. I can't believe I get to meet and talk to some of the most successful and influential creative directors from around the world. I'm thrilled by all the support and encouragement I receive from listeners everywhere. Now, as a fan of the show, I invite you to join my Patreon and become a supporter of the show. You'll help me cover the editing, hosting services, and maybe the occasional tequila soda for yours truly. If you've derived real-world value from my conversations with the world's best creatives, this is your way to help keep it going. Visit my Patreon and sign up to become a supporter today. You'll get access to additional content from the show and maybe even a few surprises. I'm looking forward to many more episodes, and I hope you'll come along for the ride with me. Visit patreon.com backslash confessions of a creative director to become a supporter today. That's patreon.com backslash confessions of a creative director. Thanks. This episode is brought to you by What's the Big Idea? An indispensable guide to becoming a kick-ass creative director by yours truly, Jaime Cabrera. Pick it up on Amazon and now available on Audible. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast, Confessions of a Creative Director, the original podcast made by a creative director for creative directors, for aspiring creative directors, for creatives of all types looking to up their game by learning from the world's best creatives. This is your podcast, and I am your host, Jaime Cabrera. On today's show, we're taking a bit of a departure with former copywriter Ben Perkert, He's the author of The Men Can't Be Saved, a wonderful novel set in the world of a branding agency and centered around a narcissistic young copywriter whose world comes crashing down after he gets laid off. While this is fiction, it's filled with stories inspired by his time in the industry we can all relate to, like ECDs who walk around like golden gods and overzealous copywriters who live and die over commas. The novel also touches on larger societal issues that come into play in the industry like toxic masculinity, the search for purpose, and male loneliness. It's a lot to unpack, so let's get into it with Ben Perkert. How are you, buddy? Hey, Jaime. How's it going? It's going well. I'm super excited to talk to you today uh, about your new book. I guess it's still, still relatively new. Still new. Uh, 
Yeah, I'm super excited to talk. This is a first for the for the program. Uh, you know, I'm usually talking to creative directors that are still, you know, kind of in, in the creative uh, world of advertising. You have managed to escape from that world, and in a, in a way, I'm kind of jealous of that. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited to talk to you about your book, which I have right here. I just finished it. Uh, the men can't be saved, uh, and yeah, I'm super excited to talk to you about that and sort of you know your journey in in the world of advertising and branding, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to to get into it with you. Yeah, I can't wait. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So before we get before we dive into the book, because I got a lot of a lot of questions, uh, give us sort of an overview of your career. Uh, obviously, you worked at, at at some top branding and advertising agencies, which sort of probably informed your your character in your book. But sort of give the audience a, a, a little overview of your career. Yeah, for sure. So I, I always wanted to be a writer um, in college. I studied creative writing. I studied poetry, actually. Um, and coming out of college, I didn't know what I wanted to do for a first job. I just wanted to be a writer. You know, I had some like. Jack Kerouac naive idea of just kind of like driving around and writing or something like that. And yeah. it was my, my poetry professor who was very unusually practical and said, you know, Ben, like, get your head out of your ass. Like you got to get a job, you know? Um, and so I thought, okay, well, what's a, what's a job for a writer? And she was actually the one who suggested copywriting. Wow. Um, I applied, I applied to a whole bunch of agencies out of college. Uh, didn't hear back from a lot of them. And then I wound up getting a job, but part of what was so appealing to me was, so I, I got a job offer from Interbrand, um, if yeah. you know that agency. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and part of what was so appealing to me was that the, the job title was not junior copywriter. It was junior creative writer, which to someone like me, like this, you know, all I wanted to do was be an artist, be a creative. It was like, oh, this is, you know, this is meant to be. So <laughs> I started working there in 2007. Um, and really the job of a creative writer was more or less the same as a copywriter. It was kind of just like a, a smart bit of, uh, of, of creative writing, yeah. frankly, to kind of, title it, you know, right. um, but it was a wild time to be working at an agency for a couple reasons. One was that more or less like the first week I started Mad Men came out. Wow. Um, really? Yeah. And so I kind of like instantly went from. Like of all my friends, I had sort of like the weird agency job, you know, and everyone was like, well, what is that? And then Mad Men came out and everyone was like, oh, my God, you know, you're like Don Draper or something. And it, <laughs> drinking it felt, th drinking it three martinis at lunch. Yeah, right. I mean, I wasn't um, I wasn't nearly as cool or problematic, I hope. But um, it, it was just like, if you remember, it was a cultural touchstone when that show came out Absolutely, for the agency. Yeah. World. Um, and it felt like everyone was talking about you know, what it was like to work as a creative in New York. And then the next year, the Great Recession hit in 2008. And um, as I'm sure you you likely recall, that was a brutal time for all industries. But for the agency world, it was just like those budgets got slashed. Right. Cl clients were hemorrhaging money. You know, they didn't have money to do logos or brand refreshes anymore. They were just trying to stay above water. So I saw a ton of friends lose their jobs. Um, I didn't lose my job, but I very easily could have. And that was sort of where the idea for the book came from was, you know, what happens when someone gets laid off who not only needs the job to pay bills, but also like their own brand, their own identity is their so wrapped identity, up in the yeah. 
yeah, what what happens? Um, so I to answer your to finish your question about you know my journey. So I I worked at Interbrand for about three years full time. Then I left to get my MFA in creative writing. I've periodically gone back and freelanced for agencies like VSA, like RGA, um, Siegel and Gale for a bit. But I've I've pretty much made that pivot. It's it's not really a part of my life anymore. I teach creative writing and I write books. That's what I do. Yeah, and so you know, Interbrand for folks that may not know is more on the sort of the branding agency, right? It's more of when when companies are are coming to be or they're looking for a brand refresh, they they might come to an Interbrand to redo everything or refresh everything, right? So it's slightly different. You're not necessarily making ads. You're maybe, you know, coming up with a new brand mantra or that this is a funny part of the book where you know that they're constantly changing it from brand mantra to uh you know rallying cry to you know any any number of you know new and exciting catchphrase for it but it it is a different slightly different world it is yeah yeah and that you know i i wanted to write about that because it's true i mean i would freelance one week and it was a brand mantra and then i'd come back the next week and it was a brand philosophy and then i'd yeah. come back with a brand idea and i was like guys you know isn't it's this the, really more or less the same thing it's the um, marketing it's I, and I always talk about this right it's the marketing within the marketing right and it's like right. you know there's there's another there's a whole other layer of, of that that goes into just even selling through the the work right you got to make the 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 work itself you know its own its own product in a way yeah, absolutely. It's the new and improved brand idea. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. oh, we're not doing brand mantra anymore. You need the new, the new thing. That right. 100%. So, um, if you, if you wouldn't mind, and I, cause I have, I have lots of questions about the book and the characters, but just sort of give the audience a, uh, a synopsis of, of, you know, what the book is about, some of the main characters. And then I would love to just ask you a couple of questions. And then obviously we're going to, we're going to, uh, you know, delve into kind of the topic, a couple of the topics from that are covered in the book, which is this idea of kind of like this little bit of this toxic masculinity that that you know kind of bubbles up to the surface in the world of advertising agencies, but also this idea maybe of creative burnout and yeah. you know your you know people's identities being so closely tied to their work, right, and and what they do for a living. Um, but if, if you wouldn't mind, just sort of set the stage uh, for us with, with a, an overview of the book. Yeah. And I'll, I'll try to touch on all that. Um, so the, the main character of the book is named Seth. Um, he's in his twenties. And when we meet him, he is really riding high. The guy is full of confidence. Um, and it's because he's, he's had one tagline. He's sort of a one hit wonder. He's had one tagline that's gone viral. Granted, it's for an adult men's diaper brand that uh, no one seems to. It's like the least sexy account you could possibly get staffed on. But he has somehow made lemonade out of those lemons. And um, because the tagline's going viral, he's convinced that he's going to you know, sweep all the advertising awards. He's going to make partner. Um, and we pretty quickly realize that his own sense of ego is, is pretty inflated. Um, he gets laid off. And once he gets laid off, you know, to your point, he's got to kind of rebrand. He's got to figure out what do I do next? And we see him stumble and struggle. Uh, and, and to some extent, he grows closer to spirituality. He's Jewish. It doesn't really seem to mean much to him early in the book when he has a successful career. But when, when that's gone, he almost tries to rebrand himself as um, a devout Jew. 
he also gets involved in substance abuse. He, he chases after um, a couple women who more or less aren't really as interested in him. And so we see some of those toxic masculinity elements in him sort of come to the forefront, even as he, you know, I think is, is going through his own coming of age journey. And part of what the book asks is, by the end, has he really substantively changed? Or is it more of a surface brand level change? You know, what, like, how, how deep does that really go for him? Yeah, sort of a sort of that he just make a, a very surface level brand refresh, right? Right. And there's another character that's really interesting too, uh, named Moon. Can you tell us a little bit about Moon? Yeah, Moon, Moon was my favorite character to write. Um, <laughs> Moon, you know, Moon drives Seth crazy because Moon is, um, he's all brash. He's, even, even though Seth is deeply narcissistic, Moon is just so much louder. Like if you watch Mad Men, he's kind of, he's like a younger Roger Sterling times 20. Um, he walks into any conference room and sort of, you know, puts his feet up on, on the table and just says the first thing that comes into his mind. And he's very successful. He makes partner. He's the youngest partner at the agency. Um, all of which drives Seth crazy because he, he, he feels like he's much more deserving. Um, and also much more neurotic, even, even though he's a narcissist, he's constantly analyzing and, and, um, second guessing himself. And so, you know, Seth and Moon, to me, their relationship is really the crux of the book because as Seth spirals and finds himself in, in more and more precarious situations, Moon is kind of the only friend who's there for him, even as Seth is constantly pushing him away. So that, that push pull of their, of their dynamic, um, that was the most fun part of this really to write. Yeah. And, and, and it's, and it's, and it is a friendship, but it's a, it, it is, it is a really weird one right it's almost like uh it's almost like um how do i how do i describe it uh you mentioned sort of push pull but they're almost frenemies in a way but they're but they're similar in some ways right they're they're both sort of fucked up and and in their own different ways and they're they kind of um i don't know it's a it's a really strange relationship you know like it, it, it at one point in the book um which is crazy, you know, Moon drives some crazy uh, Land Rover vehicle or something, and, and Seth, who at this point, their they're, they're co-workers, their sort of friends, asked to borrow it, right? And he allows yeah. them to borrow it, and then he ends up running away with it for what seems like a couple of weeks, right? Like, just really a weird dynamic. How much of, you know, how much would you say that the character Seth is based on, is there any part of you in there? I mean, I imagine there's always a little bit of part of, part of, a, a, of an author in the main characters, but was there, a, do you see yourself in that character? Oof, it's a hard question, you know, cause all, all the characters come from me on some level, right? You know, the, on the other hand, it's fiction. So it, it's, it's made up, you know, Seth does things that I would never do. He has experiences that I have never had. Um, Though we did work in a similar sort of agency, I would say for sure. I mean, specifically to the Seth Moon question, you know, I think a lot of men's relationships, relationships between straight men, um, can be really weird because I think that, you know, we can get off on this tangent or not, but there have been a lot of articles and thought pieces, think pieces, you know, recently written about like the loneliness epidemic of yeah. men. Men are just, 
we, we really don't know how to be intimate with each other. We don't know how to maintain friendships, especially later in life. Um, and so, you know, I think Seth and Moon actually have a great deal of fondness for each other, but it's almost as if they have no vocabulary. It's like, you know, not to give too much away, but there's a, there's a fight scene toward the end of the book. And it's almost as if like they're fighting because they're not comfortable hugging, you know, like that's, it's the only <laughs> way for them to touch each other is to, is to kind of just beat the crap out of each other. Um, and I think that one thing that I did definitely observe in the agency world, um, you know, the, the, the competitiveness, the power struggles, the, um, arm wrestling that sometimes happens, not just exclusively male egos, but often male egos. Um, and, and the way that that, those power struggles can actually often be homoerotic in a certain kind of way, you know, two, two men going at it for the same, uh, title or for the same, uh, corner office or yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I, I wanted to write a book that looked at that because I, I, I hadn't read, um, I hadn't read too many contemporary books that had, and it just always, uh, it fascinated me, but it also saddened me. I think Seth and moon would be a lot happier if they could, um, be open about their desire for friendship with one another because they're, they're both very lonely. Um, yeah, they, they you know? really are both lonely and they're, they're both, you know, searching for, uh, they're, they're both searching for, you know, uh, companionship, right? Whether it's, it's the women that they're trying to, um, you know, go after or, or with each other. Right. And then the other thing that was interesting to me about Seth was just the, at, at once he's very sort of arrogant. Um, but yeah, but you know, like he thinks he can save everybody, right? There's another character named Ramya who's kind of a, a love interest. Right. And, and in a way, he's trying to save her, and he's also trying to save this other love interest named named Josie, right? Like he's he's trying to save them with this sort of arrogance, but he can't he can't even save himself. So it's it's really an interesting kind of you know dynamic that that he has with them, right? And they and they both know he's full of shit, which is which is funny to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the book is titled "The Men Can't Be Saved," and I think it's you've hit on kind of one of the main ironies, which is that. Seth is so preoccupied with saving others that he's, he sort of doesn't even really know how to get himself out of, out of hot water. And to some extent working at an agency, I think, you know, one of the things when I was at, when I was at Interbrand, I mean, we were working all the time. And part of that is just like the churn of agency life, especially when you're junior, you're just pulling all nighters a lot. But part of it was also um, when I worked there, 2008 to 2010, we were just desperate for clients, not interbrand specifically, the, you know, the entire industry. Um, and one of the things is that <laughs> when you're working all the time, you're focused a lot on your clients' problems. You're not really focused always on your own problems. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I think on some level that's Seth's problem too. Like he doesn't, he doesn't really look inward. He's just so focused on, Oh, I got to save this one. I got to save this one. I got to save this one. Meanwhile, he's living out of a, a friend's car. Um, and, seems to have developed like a bit of a pill addiction. He, he's in a bad way. He needs saving. But to even admit that would be um, emasculating on some right. level. So he, he can't go there. So there was a, there was a, uh, this, this quote here from, from the press release, which said, I miss creative directors who carried themselves like golden gods, graphic designers who tore each other to shreds, copywriters who lived and breathed every comma. It was a wildly colorful place with some, sometimes fascinating darker side 
too. Um, you know, what what is it about, you know, what is it uh, about this world that you think brings out, you know, all these things? I mean, uh, we've we've touched on some of it, but is there some other kind of force at play that brings out all these things in people when they're working at an ad agency? <laughs> That's a really good question. And I, you know, I haven't worked in other industries, right? So I can't, you know, maybe we would get someone from like finance the real or estate, yeah. from finance or real estate or accounting and that, you know, they would say it's the exact same thing, but I, I don't think so. I think that there is something special, both, both in a, in a, in a really good way. Like I miss, I do miss working at an agency. It was fun and electric and communal in a way that, um, being a writer can, you know, it can feel lonely sometimes. Um, I miss collaborating with designers. I really miss that. That was one of the fun things about working on the book cover was I got a chance to to partner with a designer. It felt like making an ad. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I don't I don't have any great insights, but I do think that a lot of folks at agencies, the creatives, are repressed artists. Um, yeah. Some some of them are pursuing their art on the weekends or in the off hours. Some of them um, view advertising itself as an art. Um, others maybe had aspirations that, you know, logistically they weren't able to, to pursue because, you know, they had to pay bills and the agency paid. Um, and I think that sometimes like being an artist, calling yourself an artist in one's own mind gives you permission to behave badly. Do you know what I mean? Like Don Draper in the show is so brilliant at times that it's like, of course he can have a a drinking problem. Of course he can right. treat women poorly, you know, because, because he's, he's, it, it's almost like his creativity um, in the same way that we think about someone like Faulkner or Hemingway or whatever, you know, like they're, 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 they're genius. Their male genius gives them permission to, to behave really badly. And of course that's not ethically acceptable. It's not true. Um, but I, I think that that the, the agency world maybe hasn't come as far as it thinks it has. And certainly when I was there, which at this point is not that recent, when I was there, it was pre me too. So maybe things are different at a lot of agencies, but when I was there, that aura around the male creative director who kind of just yeah. had that swagger and that vision, it was very, very much present. And it was sort of intoxicating, even as it was deeply toxic. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And you know, it, it's always been interesting to me um, that, uh, you know, that, that the creatives, especially the creative directors, are, are treated in a different way, right? Even the, the idea of just calling them the creatives, right? The creatives are off doing this. And while I'm a creative myself, to me, that's that's really troubling because in order to make any piece of really great work, right? A campaign, a, you know, a TV spot or experiential activation, whatever. It's a whole team that's involved. Yes, the creative is very important, but it couldn't, you couldn't do the creative without someone on the production side, bringing it to life or somebody on the strategy side that helped point you in the right direction. But somehow the creatives have just gotten all the, uh, you know, the spotlight and they're, they're, they're sometimes, you know, treated like, like you said, like like golden gods, right? And it's just so bizarre to me. And I just wonder, you know, when that, when and if that will ever change. Um, you know, somebody has, I've had somebody on the podcast that said, well, you have to remember that 
the creativity really is what an agency is selling, and therefore, you know, sort of those people are important. And I, I, I you know, I agree with that, uh, sort of, right? Because again, you can't you can't put out the creative without everybody's help. But I just wonder, you know, will that ever will that ever change or not? Or is it always going to be that way, right? Where it's like, move out of the way, the creatives are coming. You know, oh, that's the creatives' yeah. lunch. You can't don't you know don't touch that. Or, you know, it's all, yep. you know, it's bizarre. Yeah, it, it is bizarre. I mean, I think that, you know, it serves the agency to present their creatives in that light, you know, like don't touch the creatives. The creatives are, are working um, to sort of like create an aura around it. And it is, I don't want to diminish it. I think what creatives do is really special. And in, in some ways it is the irreplaceable part of, of the campaign. Um, but I also agree with you that it's a team effort. I mean, I, I think... From where I sit, and I'm not trying to be moralizing about it, but I did witness some really troubling things, which contributed to me leaving the agency world. And I think that there's nothing wrong with eccentricity. You know, there's nothing wrong with the artist, the creative who gets to wear t-shirts when everyone else has to wear suits or, yeah. you know, who even shows up late to meetings and, and you know, has his headphones on like, or her headphones on, whatever, right? Like artists are weird. Artists should be allowed to be weird, but- I think that that eccentricity can very easily bleed into toxic behaviors that, you know, every time that creative is late, it puts an onus on the other people in the meeting to catch that person up. Every time, you know, the person is is drinking at their desk because it helps them loosen up, you know, someone's got to clean up the mess afterward. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a very fine line. How much of it do you think is, is, become an is an affect or or sort of like you know people trying to imitate what they you know think it is because i i tend to feel like i agree with you there are some people that just can't help it right that that that's just they're just wired that way they just they literally can't help it and then i think i i feel like there's other people who are kind of like assuming this role right and, and sort of maybe even taking advantage of some of these you know uh, these, you know, uh, ideas, right? Like, oh, I, I can just, I can just show up late. I'm, I'm creative, or I can blow off this meeting, right? Or, like, I, I seem to feel, I seem to think that there's some people that just sort of like think that that's what they're supposed to do, or hide behind it, or take advantage of it in some ways that that are not fair. <laughs> yeah. Oh, one hundred percent. And that, you know, I mean, I, I think that the advertising world's like a lot of age, like a lot of industries, but you know, maybe specifically, I mean, faking it until you make it is a, is a big part of the world. And that's, that's partially what drives Seth so crazy about moon is he's like, you know, there's no substance here. This guy is all show and there's no, what is it all hat and no cattle? Like there's just, there's nothing really there. I think to your point, it, it happens all the time because the eccentricity is the easy part to do, you right. know, to have, a, to have a really good creative idea. That's very hard. That takes real talent. It takes work. But to just, you know, show up to work and sort of perform what a creative is supposed to look like, any decent actor can do that. Do you know what I mean? And, th and that yeah. can get you pretty far. Um, I worked with some some brilliant creatives and I worked with some who I think, you know, were, were playing a part. And sometimes the brilliant creatives were actually the most buttoned up. You know, they weren't the people who really looked quote unquote creative. Just, yeah, it, it I would, depended. I, I would, I would tend to agree with you and I'm, and I'm trying to think back here. 
the people that, that in my opinion, have been the best creatives typically aren't, aren't that, aren't that person, right? The, the person that kicks up their, their feet and, uh, you know, and, and walks in with headphones or we used to have this, we have, we used to have this one client, um, who was, had come from an agency and, you know, kind of fancied himself a creative, even though he wasn't, I think he was more on the strategy side, but he would drum, he would drum on the, on the table while people were like presenting. Right. And, uh, you know, was he good at his job? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. But um, I, I've found that the people that are the most brilliant usually are the ones that show up on time, that are prepared, that, you know, yeah, sure, they have some eccentricities, but typically they're, the, they're the, usually the more professional ones, not the ones sort of playing, playing a part. Yeah. It's interesting. It's, it's interesting. But you remember the guy drumming. You know what I mean? It's like it, as right. a branding you, technique, it's a smart way to brand yourself, I suppose, because, you know, you'll never forget that person. Yeah. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're not, you know, go ahead. Impressed. No, even if even if he's not necessarily impressive, at least now he's kind of like he's branded himself. Yeah. And so maybe I maybe I have to do that. Maybe if I have to come up with some annoying. I mean, I'm sure I'm annoying in my own <laughs> in my own way. Um but you know, I, I tend to, I, 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 you know, if you took a look at me on the surface, right, it's like, okay, he's he's bought into some of the some of the tropes, right? I'm like, I got a black t-shirt on, I got the big, the big black frames, um, you know, and all that stuff. But I like to think of myself as as the creative that's going to be prepared, that's going to be, you know, that's going to be a team player, that's, you know. Um, going to do all the things that's going to help collectively build something together. I mean, maybe somebody yeah. would tell you different, but so, you know, if you were, if you were to turn this into, you know, turn the book and your experience into kind of a, a master class for, for creatives or agency folks on, you know, maybe what not to do or what, what to do or what to focus on or, or pitfalls, you know, what, what would you, what would you say or what are the you know what are the what are the main takeaways that you think someone working in advertising could you know take from this book and say okay let, maybe let's avoid this or maybe let's you know work on that hmm well that's a really good question um you know i mean for someone thinking about about potentially reading the book or buying the book you know it's it's in many ways it's a comedy and it's also a cautionary tale you know yeah. here we have a copywriter who I do think is talented. He's just not necessarily as talented as he thinks he is. And I think that he, you know, that, that one hit wonder thing I think can happen to a lot of folks in the advertising world where, you know, you have that one campaign that hits and it, it sort of, it becomes your whole brand. It becomes, it, it defines you. And, um, we're all desperate to brand ourselves and to, to have identities that, that, fill us with some amount of self-esteem. But in, in my experience, you know, the agency world moves very quickly. What you did last year, you know, starts to feel really stale pretty quickly. And some of the people who, um, some of the people who invested themselves most in the work of the agency, who, who looked at every tagline they wrote or every logo they designed as their art, as their baby, I think those were oftentimes the people who got hurt the most because um, it made them vulnerable. I think that folks who had a little bit more distance, who recognized that while 
we were doing highly creative work, it was not the same as art making, that we were ultimately delivering a product to a client. Those people, I think, um, had longer careers and more successful careers, generally. Um, I'm not talking about like, you know, you have to be cynical about the job to do well. I don't believe that. But I, I do think that if you're going into every client presentation and you've got that PowerPoint and, and your whole, whole heart is in it, when the client invariably has critiques, because they always do, you know, those are going to feel like bullets. Um, and I, I think that a little bit of distance is really, really helpful for the longevity of a career. Yeah, that's that's an interesting one. And I think probably one, uh, you know, an, uh, something that comes with time, right? Because it, that, that kind of detachment and, and detaching yourself from the idea, right? Or, or not, not being so personally connected to it, I think comes with time, right? It's hard when you're, you know, a creative director and you're talking to younger folks, right? And because they're really in it, they're, they're all in it, right? And to your point, you know, you can sometimes, it can sometimes come across to them that, you know, we're, we're being cynical when we say like, hey, you know, maybe maybe don't take this feedback so personally or or you agree to a to a change too easily right and then the and the younger folks are like hey you know that was the core central idea whatever it is and you feel like the old guy the old bitter guy <laughs> but it but it is true right that that you need to detach yourself because at the end of the day this isn't fine art it's it's some form of commercial art we're also not curing cancer right we're 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 selling products but it's hard to find that balance of being you know especially as a creative director being you know realistic while still keeping you know the the younger creatives inspired and and energized you know it's it's sort of a it can be a tough balancing act i think it's very hard i think it's it's not just advertising i think that um especially people coming out of college you know looking for jobs they they want jobs that um make a difference that matter and they, and they should, right. They want to take jobs that, that they care about, that they have some personal investment in. Um, at the same time, you know, if, if you start to think of your job as, um, not just your livelihood, but kind of like your reason for living, if it, if it starts to crowd out other, um, attentions or investments or attachments, right. I, I think it can be very dangerous because, you know, jobs go away. Right. I mean, I, I lived through it and, and both my parents worked for a company. They worked for the same pharmaceutical company for 50 years. Yeah. Um, and that pharmaceutical company was acquired by Pfizer. They got laid off like on day one, basically. Yeah. Um, so I, I lived it in my own family. And then when I came out of college and I started working at the agency, I, I saw these mass layoffs again. And so it, I think it really, um, it, it deeply shaped me in terms of how I think about, um, work and our relationship to work. Yeah. Yeah. It can't be, it can't be everything and you need to detach yourself. Oh, my dog wants to get in on this conversation. Hold on. Yeah, sure thing. You can talk to the dog. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. What kind of dog? So, detachment, probably a, a great... Um, a great thing for somebody to keep in mind. What about this idea of just, you know, burnout? Um, Cause I, I definitely feel maybe that was part of Seth's whole experience, right? In some way, even though he was laid off, he got burned out by the process, by the politics, by uh, the jockeying and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, what, what, what would you say about burnout? Did you experience any burnout while you were working in the industry? Yeah. First, first question though, what kind of dog do you have? Oh, he's a, well, we have three. Uh, oh, wow. but, uh, Mac okay. is a, um, black lab or a chocolate lab mix. Uh, mm-hmm. and then we have a chihuahua and then we have a little wiener dog mix as well. Hmm. So how cute. Yeah. We have a dog too. I have a, uh, we adopted a, uh, terrier chihuahua mix who was very, Oh, feisty. that's awesome. Yeah. Those are the best. Uh, yes. Um, my toddler may have other things thoughts to share, but yes, um, I, you know, I think that I was fortunate with respect to burnout. And so far as, um, I really knew that I wanted to do something else the whole time I was working at the agency, even as I was enjoying, um, the frenzy of it, I love, you know, as I mentioned, I loved working with designers. That was my favorite part. Um, felt really electric to be in the studio. Um, kind of, I would change, a line based on what they had sketched and then they would change the sketch based on what I had written. It was like, I, I, I really missed that collaboration. Um, even in spite of all of that, I knew that I wanted to be a creative writer. So, um, I knew that I wanted to write books that my, my future was not going to be at the agency. And so <laughs> for me, you know, I, I don't think I burned out because I, I, I was sort of detached, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to, misconstrue it. I worked really hard and I was invested in the work, but I, I didn't live it and breathe it the way that some agency folks did. So when I left, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like a Seth situation from my novel. Um, I left, I left with some degree of purpose. You know, I applied to grad school and I wanted to get my master's in fine arts to become a writer. I think in Seth's case, you know, he would say that, um, his life was going just great. And then he got laid off and it all went downhill. I think that as the reader, we see him more clearly than he sees himself. So, you know, even when he, it's kind of like someone who's, um, who's bipolar, like he's so manic first page that even when he's riding high, we're not feeling comfortable because he's so invested in this ridiculous tagline for this, you know, adult men's diaper ad, a, a men's diaper campaign that something feels very unsustainable even when things are going well. So for him, it's like, I don't know if it's burnout so much as it is just like he, 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 um, he's too invested and it's, it's going to end up poorly for him. Yeah. And it does, it does, um, end up, you know, poorly for him because he, he, you know, he goes off and he meets, uh, he, he, you know, he has to get a, a job at a, at a coffee shop, right. Which is also kind of to your point earlier about, you know, this business and many other businesses being so, I mean, you know, it's, it's, um, at any, at any moment, something could change, right? At one moment, you're like a a hot copywriter at an agency and then you're laid off and now you're 
you know, making lattes at the, um, at the coffee shop. Right. Um, the only thing I'll say there is like, you know, look, I, I, I so I actually worked as a barista when I was in grad school in part oh. because I wanted to, I wanted to take a break from freelance copywriting. I was finding it very hard. Like a lot of, we talked earlier about how some folks are able to, to do their art and also work as creatives at agencies. I admire that. I was not able to do that. Um, so I was freelancing at the agency <clears throat> thinking in terms of taglines, I was having a really hard time doing my own creative writing because they were just bleeding together. So I thought, okay, I need to get a job. Let me get a job that is totally different. That doesn't use that part of my brain. Uh, let me get a job as a barista and see, and see what it's like. Um, and Listen, I don't think there's anything wrong with getting a job as a barista, but for Seth, it represents like this huge fall from grace because I think because of, of his, the way in which he sees the world, which, which is largely through brands, um, to have this job as a successful New York city copywriter, that's a good brand. He likes that brand. Right. Um, but as you say, you know, to be making lattes and he's got to wear this like ridiculous hat and he's got this apron. It's like, for him, it's very emasculating. He doesn't, he doesn't like that brand. It's not comfortable for him. Um, I don't think it's, you know, neither good nor bad. It's just, it's just, he has this view of the world, you know? Yeah. And what I loved about that whole, that whole kind of time when he's working at the, uh, at the coffee shop is that he and the, and, uh, Ramya, who's who is his love interest, who is kind of like a, you know, uh, wannabe designer, right? They cook up a, this idea to, that they're going to rebrand, the coffee shop, and I think it's called Sotma or Sotma, right? Mm -hmm. And they're going to rebrand it, and, and that's his big. He thinks he's going to be able to, you know, rebrand them and then take them over to the agency and have them be a new client, and they're going to reinstate him, and you know, he's going to be back on the fast track to making partner, right? And it's just that that you know that idea, uh, you know, just shows how how tied up he was in that whole world right and and trying to you know orchestrate this big comeback with with clearly a coffee shop that wouldn't be able to afford you know the fees of working with a with a big agency like that it was just really like man this guy is really out of it he's really you yeah. know gone to a different place but I, but i think you know it's like part of what's interesting to me about seth is like you know, people have told me, you know, he's such a caricature and and he is right. I mean, the book, the book definitely works as satire for folks who've worked in the agency world. You know, you'll read the book and I think that you'll, you'll see that it has a lot to say about, about what agencies are like, um, in a sort of laughable way. But on the other hand, I think, you know, there are aspects of him that, that do feel pretty relatable. I can remember working on a big account. Like I worked on the AT&T account. I worked on the IBM account. And then I would hear about a friend of mine who was starting up a business and I would say, oh, well, you need a brand voice. You need a logo. You need a set of brand guidelines. You need this. You need experiential branding. You need this. You need that. And it's like, wait a minute. Like I'm, I'm applying this toolkit that I've learned and I have no sense of scale. Do you know what I mean? Um, for my friend who's just trying to get like his LLC off the ground, he doesn't, he doesn't, he, these are like. <laughs> He doesn't have money to think about this. These are like, you know, five years down the road kinds of questions. But when you're working in an agency, I think it sort of like ingrains in you a kind of worldview. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely does. You start thinking, uh, you start thinking of really crazy, 
in really sort of crazy terms like that, you know, like, why would, you know, they're going to need this and I would probably do, you know, recommend that they do this, that, or the other. Mm -hmm. Um, what, you know, what's, what's next for you? You know, what's, what's on the horizon, you know, any more books about the advertising world in, in your, in your brain? You know, I think, so I wrote a book of poems also, and, and the book of poems is called for the love of endings. That book has a lot about advertising in it. Um, and obviously this, this novel, the men can't be saved is, is really deeply situated in that world. Um, I never want to say never, but it does feel to me like, you know, a lot of my twenties was spent in the advertising world and the branding world. Um, I'm in my late thirties now. It sort of feels like maybe, you know, these are the two books that I had to write about that. And now I'm entering a new phase of my life. I'm a parent. Um, I'm a professor. I used to teach at Rutgers. Now I teach at Sarah Lawrence. Um, so my life experiences have taken me further away from the agency world. So, so maybe I've gotten it out of my system, but you know, you never know, right? You never um, know. Yeah. And we're, we're currently like talking to, to producers potentially about adapting the novel. Um, you know, I was going to ask you that. Tell, tell us about that. Yeah. Well, we're so, sort of in the thick of it. I mean, the writer's strike, if you heard about the, I'm sure you did the Hollywood writer's strike, it, yep. it sort of froze everything. Um, and my book came out right in the middle of that. And, you know, now my film agent is, is talking to folks. And so, um, who knows if it'll get made into TV or film, um, you know, we'll see, Yeah. but if, if that happens, it'll be really fun to think about like how the agency world is brought to life visually. See, I'm talking like an agency person, you know, yeah. brought to life. <laughs> Who's going to play? I mean, you know, what's interesting that my wife, my wife doesn't do this, which, which I find crazy, but when I'm reading a book, I start to picture who the characters are in terms of like, oh, I visualize this actor or that actor mm-hmm. um, without putting you on the spot. I mean, do you, when you, do you do that, A? And do you, have you thought about like, who would be the best, you know, who could play Moon, you know, who could play Seth yeah. or Ramya? Or... So my, my wife, my wife watches way more movies than I do. So she yeah. knows a lot more about, you know, the up and coming actors. I mean, my, um, Jesse Eisenberg is too old probably now. He's definitely too old to play Seth, but Oh my God, that's, that's brilliant. I love that. Okay. That, ener- that energy of like you love him, but you really hate him, you know, like he's sort of um he kind of grates on you, but he's yeah. he's he's charming even in, in the way that he's unlikable. Um that has always felt like Seth energy to me. Moon would be really fun to play. I mean, it would have to be someone big and loud and um maybe like one of those scars guard guys yeah you know what i mean like you know who i pictured as uh, sorry go ahead no the guy the i don't know if do you watch succession yeah i watched some of it yeah okay there's um who 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 do you think there's 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 so many great actors in that show but um there's the guy i forget his name i think skarsgård the one who's like the the scandinavian investor i don't know i don't know well, so you tell me who who should we cast? There's a there's a guy and and his name is escaping me. I, I'm pretty sure his name is Scott, and he's he's the son of a famous actor, um, <laughs> and he's a uh, God. He's a she's for some reason I saw I I I kind of saw Moon as somebody who has like Napoleon complex. I saw him as small and oh, just really but but good looking, right? And really. You know, really arrogant. Scott, uh, what's the guy's name? Um, it's escaping me. I'll have to. I'll have to find it and put it on there. But that's who I saw 
in my mind. What is there any nervousness? Because you know, there's always when when a book gets adapted, right? They always, you know, it, it's a different it's a different beast, right? So it's it's not a, a book is much different than a movie. Any concerns about what they would do with some of the characters or in the storyline? And I got to tell you, just one little, little, one little thing before you answer that. There was a point in reading your book where I thought that it was going to go in kind of like a um, Fight Club direction, mm -hmm. where I started to think, you know, because Seth is on drugs, and you know, I started to think, is he? Is, does Moon really exist? Is is Moon really like some other? side of of him right i started going down that path and i'm like you know sort of like you know would they ever you know are they going to make some big sweeping change like that or you know do you have any concerns about them changing the storyline too much that's really cool i've i've heard a couple say a couple people say fight club it's interesting you write a book and then people tell you what it reminds you of people have said like a little bit american psycho a little bit fight club a little bit catcher in the rye a little yeah. bit Mad Men. Which I, I love all those things, so I guess it doesn't it's not weird, I guess, that I wrote something that's has a certain kinship. I mean, I think, you know, listen, getting it made into a TV show or, or film would just be really cool. So I'm not gonna um sit here and, and say, you know, I've got all these reservations. I mean, I, I think that it's helpful to think of it as a separate piece of art, you know? Yeah. Um I wrote the novel. Writing is is the thing that I know how to do, or at least I hope that I sort of know how to do. If you start working with a, a TV or, or a movie team, you know, they've got different expertise. Sure. Um, so I think a lot of writers are, um, you know, they're, they're, they're very precious about their work, um, as they should be. They want to protect it and they want to preserve it. And they've got a very specific vision for the characters. And, um, I think I'm more collaborative. Like, like we were talking about, I like working with designers and editing based on what they design. I like that back and forth. Um, so to me, it's exciting. On the other hand, it is your baby. So, you know, right. it's hard to give, it's hard to give it away. Yeah. But that's why they pay you. So, when he tells Peggy, you know, that's what the money's for. That's what, you know what? I, I love that line and I've used it a couple of times when I've had to have tough conversations with the team, you know, about, yeah. about stuff. It's like, you know, that's what, that's what the money's for. Um, right. Right. but Ben, this has been great. The book is called the men can't be saved. Final question. What is the answer? Can the, can the men Ooh. be saved? I guess you just, you said it, they can't, but is there, Ooh. is there a world where we can be saved? Is there a world where we, here's, so here's the hook. Readers have to read it and find out, uh, come to your own conclusions. I, I think, uh, I'm, I'm not hopeless. Um, I think that the first step for some of these men, uh, I won't say all, some of these men, guys like Seth, guys like Moon, um, I think that there's a good heart there. They just need to be able to sort of step back and, and see themselves a little bit more clearly than they do. Um, so I don't think that the possibility of uh, salvation or redemption is is beyond them. But I think with all things, there's there's some work to do. But if readers read it, uh, you can email me and tell me what you think. And if you've got thoughts on which movie stars you want to play, which characters, uh, I will pass it along. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, this is, I mean, for anybody listening, this is, I mean, it's a, it's a great, it's a great book. It's a great read. And I did, uh, you know, kind of feel 
he was so into, and I don't want to take us into another direction here, but he was so into solving this puzzle for, for the, uh, for the prostate, uh, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, company, right. That I saw that as kind of like some sort of redemption hope for him, right. That he was concerned about doing something positive. So maybe that's, uh, maybe he's going to be eventually saved by that. But again, Great book. Pick it up. If you're, uh, you know, obviously the people listening to this are in the business, you will enjoy it. You'll recognize uh, characters in your own agency, I'm sure, and you'll probably visualize them as you're reading the book. But thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for for writing it and and just kind of shedding some light on, you know, the goings on at at, at, um, agencies and whatnot. And yeah, I can't recommend it enough. And good luck with everything. I'm I'm hoping, I'm rooting for you that that movie gets made and uh, maybe you'll come back on the show once it does and we can talk about it all over again oh i'd love that this is this has been a real pleasure thank you thank you all right talk to you soon take care okay bye and that's going to do it for another episode of confessions of a creative director thanks to my very special guest ben perker if you haven't done so already pick up his book the men can't be saved uh it's available everywhere it's a really really great fun read uh, gives you a lot to think about and, and kind of puts uh, puts our business in a different perspective that uh, may help you maybe uh, not take it so seriously. Um, but yeah, it's a great book. Pick that up. Also, uh, I'd love to invite you to become a supporter of the program. Uh, I just started a Patreon page. You can find that at patreon.com backslash confessions of a creative director. And another way to support the podcast is by picking up my book, What's the Big Idea? An Indispensable Guide to Becoming a Kick-Ass Creative Director. So if you're getting some value out of these two things, the book and the podcast, I invite you to become a part of it and become a paid supporter of the program. All right, that's going to do it for now. Until next time, peace, love, and creativity. See ya. Make the logo as big as you can Make the logo bigger yeah. I don't want to tell you how to do your job But could you make